biggest thing I would say right now focusing on and will continue to focus on is copyright protection and enforcement in this age of social media. You've had LeBron James recently, Deshaun Watson recently sue for using content of photographers that was copywritten without consent. And there are programs, the Players Association provide them and otherwise that, and there's, there's royalty free images online if they need it or they can try to clear it. The problem is a lot of athletes are just grabbing images that they find online without actually looking into rights and whether or not they need consent to use it. And because social media has become the most important form of compensation, when you look at endorsement deals for athletes, it's always a component and oftentimes a primary component of these deliverables. The argument can be made by rights holders that just republishing the content without permission on social media is a commercial use because those social media accounts are by virtue of themselves. They're commercial. That's how athletes are making money. Joined by Darren Heitner from Heitner Legal, who all things legal, copyright, contracts, law, cyber squatting, we're going to talk about that, defamation, right of publicity, esports, gaming, trademarks, copyrights, and on and on. So let's, right, right from the beginning, Darren, this past year and the increase of celebrities and being founders and being investors and what we've seen over the last few months with NBA Top Shot and uh, trading cards and collectibles. Talk to me just about your business in copyright and trademark and patents and, and how much that's exploded. And I'm also curious how often people are calling and they actually don't even know the difference between what those three words mean. I'll, I'll hit on the, the, the latter first. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Yeah. It's great to chat with you as always. It's so common where somebody will call and say, I need a patent when they need a copyright or I need a trademark when they need a patent so on and so forth. Copyright, trademark, patent seems to be used interchangeably, even by lawyers. I will say a lot of lawyers don't even understand the distinction, but that's because intellectual property law is a really nuanced, distinctive area of the law. And unless you actually practice in it day in, day out, uh, it's hard to thrust yourself into it. It's quite confusing. So uh, yes, it is common for people to not really understand the distinction between those areas. And there's others like trade secrets and rights of publicity. But to your first question, my business has been booming. And I apologize <laughs> for stealing the line from Antonio Brown, but it's been, it's been great. Um, I really decided. Hang on, did you copy, did you copyright that creative work for him? See, there you go. It's actually a trademark. Oh, it is. Copyright, well, but but, so, but why, if it's, what's, because there's a product and services under the word or what's the, thank you for that. Yeah, it's an identical, trademarks are identifications of source. So copyrights are really, you're protecting any content that's fixed in a tangible medium, which is not a phrase like business is booming. That would actually be a trademark and you'd have to associate it with the sale of any type of goods and services and specify it with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. So, so, so back to what's been going on. It's, it's really, I tried to marry intellectual property and sports, two of my big loves in, in creating and building my practice. And I've been fortunate to be able to do so uh, 
with the extensive relationships that I built over time in sports and then my experience in intellectual property. And I'd say particularly in the realm of trademarks where I filed probably at this point over 600 applications in the U.S. and in a variety of jurisdictions outside of the U.S. And so, I mean, I had a client recently, an NFL player who signed me to file 19 trademark applications. I have another baseball player that I may be signing up this week who I think is going to be ordering somewhere between 16 and 20 applications as well. And it's just because of the extensiveness. They're, they're trying to build these brands and maybe they won't actually follow through in crafting and growing these brands. But so many athletes are so cognizant of the, of the fact that they should be working now to develop their brands while they're current athletes and leveraging what they've been building up and are going to continue to build up over time and, and figuring out what interests them and trying to build businesses around it well after their particular careers and maybe even after their lives for their children to benefit from. So it's really interesting. And I think, you know, you mentioned all these new areas like NBA Top Shot, and we can get into that if you'd like from an intellectual property standpoint, because I think it's really interesting. But I think one, one thing that may be happening is that athletes and others are realizing it may be smart to diversify their quote unquote portfolios to not just be worried about the cash in hand or in their bank accounts or in investments, but have alter, alternative uh, assets and alternative potential streams of revenue. And I think intellectual property can be one of those interesting alternative forms of, of assets. I mean, think about real property. We've respected owning land and owning homes forever as a great investment. Well, intellectual property, you're just adding the word intellectual before, but it's still a form of property that you can own and that you can prevent others from infringing upon. So I think people are starting to realize that. But when people are asking you, and you mentioned somebody, a football player with 19, when people are asking you about a, pay, a patent or trademark or copyright, how many of them actually have uh, a business idea, a product or a technology or a service, or how many of them, to your earlier point, are just thinking they have a name or a phrase or an idea, and they, they even just want to lock that in to the extent they can before the, the idea has even been created? So it's an interesting question, and I'd say it's almost 50-50. I haven't looked at the numbers, but the beauty, let's say, if we're talking about trademark applications, is that when we file, we have the capacity of either filing an actual use application or actually filing an intent to use application. So you don't have to be using the mark in commerce when you file. It's perfectly fine as long as you have a bona fide intent to use it in commerce. You get that application process started. In fact, when a lot of people come to me and ask, well, should I wait to file until I'm actually using it? Oftentimes I say no, because the process itself takes a while. From application to registration, it commonly takes somewhere between six to nine months. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not using it yet, but you intend to use it, why not file now and get that clock started? Because ultimately you won't get a registration unless you're using it in commerce. So at some point in time down the road, you're gonna to have to show that use. But if you do intend to use it, yeah, get that application filed. So that that, really makes up the difference between, you know, those who file actual use and intent to use. Mm. So, okay. So I was going to ask the question about when, when one is abandoned, 
but that's that would be an intent to use as abandoned because they have they you couldn't have gotten the the actual use if you haven't created something. Well, there's different ways to abandon. You you mentioned one. If you in, if you file an intent to use and never show actual use and choose not to extend, which you can do multiple times, um, or you've you've exhausted those extensions, that's one way you can abandon. Uh, you could file an actual use application, and there could be an office action. You could have issues essentially in the application process that you can't get beyond, and that will result in abandonment. Um, and other times we see abandonment when you actually have a registration, and let's say you fail to renew it between the fifth and sixth year of having a registration, you have an obligation to renew it. In fact, you can also file for what's called incontestability. Um, but if you don't renew it, it's gone. Hmm. And, and thinking about that and that being gone and thinking about cyber squatting or the GoDaddy era too, you know, how much do you see of just the common folk, the person who's just out there to make a buck and just trying to take names and phrases and, and just own something and, and force a sale? We see it more with like trademark filings than we do with domain names, but we have, so cyber squatting would be in the domain name realm. Um, in fact, we're about to file uh, what's called a UDRP proceeding. It's arbitration, cheaper, quicker, um, and confidential. So those are the three benefits of going that route. But And that's through ICANN, which governs all the domain names on the internet. So we do have those issues from time to time where someone may be squatting on a domain name. The main thing that we have to show is bad faith. Because let's say someone owns davidschwab.com and is actually creating a site that talks about you and everything you're doing, but isn't utilizing it in a way to try to sell it to you or exploit you, that could be a good faith use. And you could, you could, have, you could essentially suffer because you weren't proactive in getting your domain name. But I had a case once where I represented uh, someone in the UFC and a third party actually purchased the domain name in his birth name and then made it a, a homosexual porn site and did it with the purpose of intentionally harming the UFC fighter. And so that was one of, I'd say, one of the more easier cases for me yeah, to handle wow. because it was so clear that this was bad faith. So we, we do deal with it from time to time. You mentioned uh, Top Shot earlier. Um, I heard Ravel talking to the guy who runs it at, at Dapper. I was amazed that there's only 50,000 uh, subscribers, members, marketplace. The revenue is ridiculous for only having 50,000. Um, but talk to me from an IP perspective. I mean, it, it is pretty wild just watching it. it. It is wild. I've stayed so far away from it. I promise I wouldn't get involved. And then over the weekend, I bought two Terry Rozier moments. So, so, now so, so pause there for a second. So I, I haven't bought anything. I have an account name just to see it. But it's not an app. It's just web, right? Right. Yes. And then you would sign up for a notification. The moment there's a notification, you're going to stop your, your legal case. You're going to stop your client card because you got to go immediately to the website and buy a pack, right? That's different than the marketplace, obviously. I actually have my notifications off. <laughs> I, I haven't turned it on. I just need, but so you what you bought were uh, from packs or from the marketplace? I bought from the marketplace. So okay. I think, so Terry Rozier only has one moment from like a year ago. And yeah. 
there's like 1500 common of that moment. And then I think a much less, uh, like I think the supply on a limited edition is probably like a hundred or so. And right. those are going for thousands upon thousands of dollars. So I got my feet wet in the common area, but I still paid, I think 550 for one and 600 for the other. And I'm not sure what I own, which goes to your point. Uh, <laughs> it's it's so interesting because we don't like, everyone says, why would you buy this? Like, if you, if you like the highlight, go on YouTube and you can watch it. And that's absolutely right. What we own isn't even the intellectual property underlying the moment because that's owned by the NBA. And the publicity rights, the name image likeness is owned by the NBPA, the union, which then, so these two entities came together, licensed it to Dapper Labs, as you mentioned, which owns NBA Top Shot. And so there, I, you haven't actually uh, transacted on the site, but there's transaction fees. So it's like 5% each transaction. And that's going to Dapper and to the league and the union, which will then be split among the players. But so what do I own? I suppose I own... A, a, a well, I own an NFT technically, a non fungible token, which yep. is associated with the moment, and its only value is whatever the consuming market applies to it. If there's somebody who wants to buy it from me, then that's the value. If not, I suppose it's worth nothing. I said to someone the other day, Well, I can go on YouTube, and he said, Well, you can also go look at the Michael Jordan Fleer 86 on YouTube, also. And I said, well, it's physically just, well, but what's the difference? And that is, I think that is an age, that will be an age thing where the youth grow up digital first. Everyone 40 plus, 50 plus grew up analog first. They'll never, very few will ever get that. But uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I was fascinated in looking at it and looking at that marketplace that let's say that Terry Rogier, there may be. 10 people might be selling it right now, right? And let's say there's uh, a thousand of them, but 10 are actually selling them and they're numbered. And number six is for 500 and number 13 is for 500. And then whatever Terry Rozier's actual game jersey number is, that one's selling for double. Doesn't make any sense, but it's the same thing with trading cards. I guess it, it, it feels cool, but it but no other numbers have any correlation to anything, but they're all selling at different prices, but supply and demand. I mean, if people want to buy it. Yeah. And, and I, I wonder it, how, so this is Dapper Labs doing it with NBA highlights. And this is really, I know Dapper Labs did this before with something called Crypto Kitties, which yep. I, I faintly know of, but was never involved and never purchased anything. It's weird that Dapper did this so long ago with CryptoKitties and there was nothing in between that and NBA Top Shot, at least as far as I'm aware. Yeah. And now even, you know, NBA Top Shot has been pretty hot for a little while now and we still haven't seen any competitors. I'm interested in how this market's going to explode and what will be the next product, I suppose, that is based on this concept of scarcity that causes the marketplace of supply and demand. It's it's extremely interesting to me. I I would have never put in money into NBA Top Shot in its infancy. Now that there's $10 million of transactions a day, I'm like, all right, I sort of have to know what this is all about. And I'm only going to know if I do a purchase or two. 
I, I I'm not quite sure after this one that I'm that I'm still going to stay in. I, I just kind of wanted to get a feel for it. I I, uh, it, I think one thing they did solve that trading cards haven't solved is, and you mentioned the transaction fee, which Dapper gets and the league gets and the union gets. So you know, people are saying, "Oh, the players." Well, the players are getting. You know, that's part of basketball-related income in some way with the collective bargaining. They also in your marketplace, not only in the packs. So that's a secondary market. You might be buying that Terry Rozier from John Doe, but they, now the league and the players still are getting paid for that. If there's a secondary market on a trading card and I sell you a Tops Daryl Strawberry, the league and the union and Daryl Strawberry is not being compensated for that. So Dapper, that's a smart iteration of that. Yeah, but I did see, I saw something interesting today that it appears now NBA Top Shots are going to be auctioned separately from Dapper, mm. which I suppose would take Dapper and the NBA and NBPA out of the picture <laughs> from, from a monetization standpoint. I mean, obviously, they're still making a plethora of money from the transaction fees in the when the original purchases of these top shots and then on the transactions that occur on the website. And as you mentioned, I'm, I mean, I'm surprised somewhat that Dapper hasn't invested more money to get an app out there. It's crazy that in today's day and age, this is all happening on a website, a website that by the way, seems to be crashing constantly. <laughs> I asked, I asked some kids on the block, some high school kids on the block uh, that knew nothing about top shot, but I had them look at it and said, now take this and apply it to gaming that you guys all do. And he said, oh, it's really easy. He said, different limited edition avatars in Fortnite that you know the influencers or whoever have, and then just go sell the limited edition avatar. There's a digital form of it. Said, no problem. I'd buy it. But it makes, it makes sense. It's the exact same thing. But 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 then again, like that's all fine and good. I'm sure that those. I'm making an assumption those limited edition avatars probably aren't going for that, that much money. You have moments that are going for a hundred thousand dollars. So I don't think the kids on the block are, you know, coming out of pocket on that unless mom and dad are, are fronting the bill. It's, it's kind of crazy because you look on the marketplace for, for uh, top shot and even taking Terry Rogier as an example, because I haven't really looked at much, but I was looking at him in particular the limited edition ones of him are going at a minimum of ten thousand dollars. Mm. Uh, let's get back. Let's oh, let's get back. Let's get back to some uh, more legal things and things that we actually can truly control today, <laughs> or maybe not. Ni nil. Um, yeah. You've been you've been deep in it. Certainly deep in it in Florida um, and maybe some other states. T talk to me where you think nil is statewide or countrywide in three years. Oh, I don't think it's a state issue in three years. I think we're talking about it being um, a federal right. And I, I think more likely than not, it's Congress doing something by then. I don't think that it's going to be left to the NCAA. Those days are over. I think the NCAA certainly had an opportunity years ago to get in front of it and failed to do so. And I think that's going to be a lasting blemish on the reputation of those who are higher ups at the NCAA currently, because this was something that they had not only ignored, but essentially said it would open up Pandora's box. And meanwhile, these were rights that should have been given to athletes forever. 
and really wouldn't have taken any opportunity away from the universities. And it's not a Title IX issue either. It's it, it was so easy for the NCA to cave in on this issue, and it didn't. But right now, we have six states that have passed legislation and signed it into law. Florida, my home state, being the first one that will go effective in July 2021. And I think that's really what's causing a lot of the pressure on other states, on the NCA, and on the federal government. It's hard to say what's going to happen next on the national level. It was somewhat surprising that the NCAA, which said it would have legislation to be voted on earlier this year, ended up punting. And we have no idea if and when the NCAA is going to address that again. You would assume it happens sometime soon, because otherwise you're going to have a state like Florida with its legislation going effective. Iowa recently uh, proposed legislation to mirror Florida. Um, you have many other states that are looking at legislation. And so I think the federal government wants to take it seriously, but there's just so many other issues, obviously, yeah. in the first 100 days of a new presidency uh, that are taking precedence over it. And so you've got this juxtaposition of that and July 1. And it's hard to tell whether Congress will really be able to dedicate the time to any one of the five pieces of legislation that are currently pending on the national level that address name, image, and likeness in some way. Let's close with uh, advice to an athlete or an influencer that you see over and over from a legal perspective that you say, this was a no-brainer, this was a 101 that you should have done first day, or just a, not a common mistake, but more of an, an advice that you would offer back as it relates to IP or just the areas that you're focusing on every day. The biggest thing I would say right now that I'm focusing on and will continue to focus on is um, copyright protection and enforcement in this age of social media. You've had LeBron James recently, Deshaun Watson recently sued for using content of photographers that was copywritten without consent. And there are programs, the Players Associations provide them and otherwise that, and there's, there's royalty free images online if they need it or they can try to clear it. The problem is a lot of athletes are just grabbing images that they find online without actually looking into rights and whether or not they need consent to use it. And because social media has become the most important form of compensation. When you look at endorsement deals for athletes, it's always a component and oftentimes a primary component of these deliverables. The argument can be made by rights holders that just republishing the content without permission on social media is a commercial use because those social media accounts are by virtue of themselves. They're commercial. That's how athletes are making money. And so LeBron James just recently settled a lawsuit that was filed against him on those grounds. It's in its infancy against Deshaun Watson. There will be others. And I think that's an area that athletes need to be cognizant. And that's The Bond. There's plenty more to come. <laughs>